you please take a minute to ask the Lord to help me and guide me and use me any way he would. Thank you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, the privilege of your getting to teach your word and interact with your word, Lord. Um, Lord, I humbly admit that I uh, am a sinner and I'm just a man weak and frail. Lord, I have no power uh, to change people's hearts and minds. I have nothing in myself to offer them that's redemptive. But you, O oh Lord, are the source of all power. Um, you have salvation and the power to change us and make us whole and to heal us. So Lord, I just ask for your help this morning. Uh, pray, Lord, that you'd use me in any way you desire. Um, guide us this morning. We ask for the help of your spirit to illumine our hearts and our minds to your truth. And would you apply it to our hearts and our minds that our affections would change, uh, that our thinking would change, our actions would change. All for your glory, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you kind of the, the three movements that we're going to walk through this morning, if you will, and if you don't take notes, uh, just give you a mental framework to track with me where we're going. So we're going to do three basic things this morning. We're going to define peace together, uh, and then we are going to look at peace, that fruit, in the life of Jesus, and then finally we'll, at the end, look at fruit, that fruit of peace in the heart and the experience of the believer. So those are the three things, the defining peace, the peace in the life of Jesus, and then peace in the heart of the believer. So I'm going to give you a moment, I'll give you two minutes here, and I want you to actually do this. Uh, take a moment to write down if you have a physical piece of paper, that's great, or if you have a device, that's great. But take a minute to write down a definition of peace. So if somebody's going to ask you, what is peace? What is this fruit of the Spirit? What would you say? I'll give you two minutes. Thirty seconds, right fast. Okay. Okay, so brave souls, who wants to offer their definition of peace? What do you think? But uh, a cessation of all hostility and a state of well-being and accord. Ooh, that's good. I'm impressed with them. A well, sense of assurance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. 
being without tranquility. Others, um, having like this isn't perfect at all. The state of like rest, calmness, and unity of heart, and then specifically with the fruit of the spirit, like between God and then also with fellow man. Anybody else? I was thinking understanding the sovereignty of God, such that our like actions don't cause us to be anxious. Like mm -hmm. we understand that we can rest in him. That's good. Okay. Very good. Last chance, last call. The other ones? Good? Okay. So you guys touch on there's different aspects. It's a little bit tricky. There's different aspects that we could talk about. Um, in the Greek uh, the, the word peace is irene and it's if you're gonna do a basic word search it's going to yield things pretty similar to what we get in English. So the most succinct summary of some of those different aspects that I found was just in the Merriam-Webster. Um, so there's three senses that they suggest. One is a state of tranquility or quiet. Some use that word tranquility a moment ago. Uh, two, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Who said that? That was, was that you? Somebody said one almost exactly like that. And then three, uh, harmony and personal relations. And then Timothy Keller, in his commentary on Galatians, he offers this definition specifically on the fruit of the spirit of peace. He says that confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than your own, it replaces anxiety and worry. So you were very close on that one. Good job. You're the smartest Timothy Keller. Wow. <laughs> so um, when we were working through uh, this series, Pastor Rick gave us, um, two books. One of them is The Character of Christ by Jonathan Landry, Landry Cruz. And I just wanted to uh, quick plug, tell you guys about this book because I've really enjoyed it. And basically what he does is he examines all of these different fruits of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. And it's a deeply refreshing book. Daniel and I were talking about this um, probably a month ago about how it's so easy to separate Christian obedience from our union with Christ in such a way that the commands of Christ become burdensome and wearisome. And he does such a good job of refreshing and comforting the heart of the believer and elevating Christ and how wonderfully Christ um, bore these fruits. And it gives you a deep appreciation for um, the person of, of Jesus. And so I highly recommend it to you. It's only... Gosh, 160 pages, not even that, 150 pages maybe. Um, quick read, really, really good. But he offers a threefold definition of Christian peace that I think is very good and very useful. We're going to use it this morning. Um, and you, in your definitions, you touched on some of these different aspects. So one, he talks about an external peace between God and man and creation. Two, an internal peace in the heart of the believer, a heart at rest. So that's more of an experiential peace that we experience, we feel. And then third, an external peace between men, between um, different parties. So as we move now to looking at peace in the life of Christ, and then we'll look at peace in the life of the believer, we're going to use that threefold view of Christian peace. So... 
think about Jesus, um, peace, and his life, um, one of the reasons why we are doing that is we know that Jesus is the perfect example of bearing fruit and touching his humanity. Um, the Spirit produced fruit in him uh, perfectly. So if we want to know what that looks like, he's the one that we look to. And so there's two aspects, two, I think, ways that we can really see peace, um, the way that this idea of the external peace between God and man is seen in Jesus. One is that idea of him living in perfect harmony with the Father as man. Um, He did that perfectly in a way that none of us do, to the point that he's able to say things like he does in John chapter 4, where he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That he was in such harmony and union with the Father that he could say that his very food, the thing that sustains him, uh, is to do the will of his Father. And so he embodied that perfectly in a way that no other person did. And the second sense, I think, is the idea that he's, his mission was to secure that peace, to uh, repair that void, if you will, between man fallen man and God. Um, that's why he came. So Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Cruz in his book, he has this little sentence where he says, reconcile is the verb of peace, the action of peace. And we see that reconcil- reconciliation is why Christ came. And he makes the argument in the book that there's perhaps nothing more fundamental to the life of Christ than this idea, this mission of bringing peace between God and man. And he suggests that if you were going to try to boil the Bible down into one aspect, then this might be the most appropriate way to go about it, this idea of like God making peace with man through Jesus. That if you're going to try and boil it down to its most fundamental, there's a good argument to be made there. And so that's one of the most fundamental parts of our faith, but one of the most profound parts of our faith, isn't it? That we have this void that we could not ourselves repair, that we ourselves were not at peace with God, and we needed um, a mediator. We needed an agent to come and to be um, the perfect and new Adam, um, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins and to repair uh, that relationship. So that is the way that we see that external peace between God and man, the way that Jesus um, fulfills that. The second sense, we talked about that experiential peace in the heart of the believer. So there's a couple of places. This is more difficult because there's not a particular place in the New Testament that I could find that explicitly talks about Jesus experiencing peace. Um, so you have to do a little bit of, of work to see implicitly how he embodied that peace, how he might have experienced those peace. And I think there's two episodes in the life of Christ that embody that. One is that famous story of Jesus in the storm, um, being out um, with those fishermen in that boat, and there's a storm that comes, and it's a storm that is so severe that these experienced, rugged fishermen, who have been presumably in many storms, and know how to handle themselves in the storm, are scared to death which suggests to us the severity of the storm. If I'm out on a boat and there's a storm and I get scared, that's not very indicative of how severe the storm is. That's more uh, reflective of my own uh, incompetency, right? But these are lifetime fishermen. They knew what to do. They knew what they were in for. And it was a very severe and dangerous situation. And of course, Jesus is sleeping 
uh, at that moment. I don't want to read too much into that. You know, maybe he was super, super tired from his ministry um, activities, but he does certainly display, once they wake him up, a sense of calmness, doesn't he? He doesn't panic and go, oh no, Peter, why don't you tell me about this 15 minutes later? We're all going to die. You know, did somebody bring the life jackets? There's no type of panic in his voice or in his actions. He's calm. He's poised. There's a sense of control and security. Um, so he certainly embodies it in that moment. And the second episode is, I was thinking about Jesus during his Passion Week, where he knows exactly what he's in for. He knows, he knows what his mission is. He knows what the end result is. Um, he knows the suffering that he's about to go through. Um, and yet, when you look at him during that Passion Week, uh, again, he doesn't display anxiety or worry or panic at any given time. Even like in his interactions with Pilate, in those moments or before the crowd, he's just poised and calm. There's that, that sense of um, co- being collected. And there is certainly something I want to point out, you know, that in the midst of those very difficult circumstances, we see him take those things to the Lord in prayer in a very um, vivid episode, you know, when he's praying in, in the garden. You know, it's not to say that he's just indifferent to those circumstances or he doesn't feel the reality of those circumstances, right? He's praying with such intensity that he's bleeding from the forehead. Um, He's urgently taking those things to the Lord. He's doing some urgent dealing, if you will, with with the Lord in prayer about those circumstances. Um, So he he knows and he feels that, and yet he's able to embody peace. So that's something we have to wrestle with, like that we can feel in our circumstances um, danger, we can feel suffering, we can feel those different things, and yet those emotions in some way can interact with the fruit of the spirit of peace in our lives. And the way that he, the, he teaches us in that particular moment is by, he, does, he deals with that by taking that to the Lord in prayer. And that's very instructive for us. But one of the things I think that we see from both of these different episodes is that Jesus in these circumstances what, what do we see from it? We see that it's not just the emotions provoked by the circumstances, right? It's not, oh no, there's a storm, so I have fear, and fear takes over, or I'm about to suffer, or I'm about to be betrayed. Um, but rather, he has this peace that is deeper than the circumstances, if you will. Um, it's not a response to circumstances, but it's a... and I was working with this phrase, I would say a stability of spirit fixed on a sure point. So kind of going back to what Timothy Keller was talking about, of there's a perspective of the sovereignty of God, our relationship with God, that our spirit fixes on that point, that those promises of God, the assurances of God, that allow us to experience peace in the midst of those circumstances. And I think we see that in the life of Christ. So, moving on, I think I skipped a slide. Mm-hmm. I think I missed, I missed a slide. Okay, so the last way that we see that third aspect of, of harmony and peace between um, men, how would you think Jesus embodies? that peace between men? Does he display that? And one of the, the episodes that I think 
instructs us, and that is um, when Peter betrays Jesus. There's a real harm done there in that relationship. There's a real wrong done, a betrayal that's done there. And Jesus, and of course, we have to do some careful thinking here because he plays a certain role that we don't play in that restoring Peter um, as his Lord and as his God. But he had every right to be angry with Peter. There's a real wrong being done. And you can think about some of the worst things that people have maybe done to you. Maybe they said something behind your back that really hurt you. They weren't there for you in a given moment. Some wrong that was done to you. Probably none of us in this room could say that we have had a wrong done to us so deeply as my one of my friends gave me or betrayed me in such a dire moment as, as that. And yet, Jesus displays a desire and an earnestness to reconcile with Peter, to restore Peter in that moment. And he's gentle and he's healing in that moment. And that's very instructive for us. So now we're going to do some thinking about peace in the life of a believer. And we're going to look at those three aspects again. And this is where I would like for you guys to do some more discussing and thinking about these things as we look at peace in the heart of the believer and thinking about how this is um, taking root in your own life, how this is embodied in your own life. So if you can, right now, find three to five people around you that you can make a little group with, and I'm going to give you a chance to talk to each other about these different things, and then I'll ask you some brave souls to just offer up your subject group. So yes, I'm going to force you to talk to people. Um, some of you are horrified. Um, so go ahead and take a moment, look around, see if you can find somebody to talk with. So we'll look. We'll begin with. We're going to look at this that first aspect of peace with God between God and man, God and um, yeah, humanity. So looking at that, think about Christ's work, right? What we talk about, He has reconciled us, um, that we have peace with God, and we now are children of God. Um, would somebody please read for me Matthew six? And I have it there, 25 to 33. Make sure that that is right. Yeah. Okay. Let me read. Go for it. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for that for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what we shall drink? What shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them all. But... But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Perfect. 
So thinking a little bit about that idea of how Jesus, I'm thinking of John's word in chapter 1, where he says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that idea that those who are in Christ, they become children of God. There's a sense in which God is your heavenly father, that um, he is not for the unbeliever, those who are not in Christ. So doing some thinking then about that new position that we have in Christ, that, that new position you have because of Christ's redemptive work where he repaired that bridge and he brought peace between you and God. Um, I want you guys to do some thinking and discussing about how do you think you relate to God practically. This is not right answer time necessarily, right, of what I'm supposed to feel, but doing some thinking on how would you say day to day you actually relate to God. Um, so I have some like ideas up there. So like, would you say that you genuinely do enjoy a deep sense of security and comfort relating to him as your heavenly father? Is that a reality? Or maybe you're in a season where you're feeling, dealing with struggling with feelings of guilt or shame. Do you have a feeling that you need to perform so that he won't abandon you, etc.? So you can, you can work through those things um, and just think about that. Like day to day, are you, would you say that your heart is in a state of peace with the Lord? And if not, and probably not all the time, um, what are some ways in which you find yourself struggling or fighting in that area? So I'll give you five minutes to talk about that. Be brave. Thank you. 
exercise some courage in talking to one another uh, there. Uh, would somebody like to offer even more courage and share in front of everybody now that you've had a chance to kind of talk amongst yourselves? How, how would you say that you relate to God in that aspect? They're all good Presbyterians that relate to him perfectly as Father, all the time, beacons of peace. I can talk if no one else wants. Go ahead. Um, I mean, yeah, there are times when I kind of go through life um, with God, it's kind of outside, out of mind at times. Mm -hmm. I'm just not thinking of it anyway. I do think of them. It's kind of a guilt, is my first response because I haven't been, you know spending that time with him, considering him in my actions, my thoughts, and all that. Um, but on, on the flip side, and, and that usually leads to guilt and, and then me trying to fix it. When I do feel guilt in kind of a big way, and then I realize it's completely beyond my ability, that's when usually I do feel peace more, because then I, I know it's beyond me, and it's only in God that I can For me, I was talking about how I, uh, I would say more times than not, I do not have the peace described in this passage. You know, that level of, of trust. Um, and so it just shows that I'm not, you know, taking advantage of the comfort that the Lord has to offer. 
souls. Our group also talked about how, you know, when we don't spend as much time in the Word, you know, we can often feel more anxious um, that we're not, you know, sitting in the Lord's presence, we're not, you know, enjoying His Word and the So, often those things go together. I think that, that this is one of those aspects that Noah and Pastor Rick and I have discussed that we would like to hopefully communicate consistently through the classes. You could look at this as a list of to-dos and a slap on the wrist for all the ways that you are not um, walking with the Lord as you should. And especially looking at the context of Galatians and what he's writing to them about, he's specifically rebuking a, a justification um, by works, uh, an effort to make yourself right with the Lord in your own effort. And when he gets to this passage, this is not his aim to beat you down with another list of to-dos to make yourself right before God. But rather, these are the benefits that Christ has secured for you as the perfect fruit-bearing man. That he, in all the ways where you did not bear peace in the midst of your circumstances, he did perfectly. And therefore, he is your righteousness. And that he is such a gracious Savior and so full of, of love and, and mercy that he came to secure these things for you to have the right um, to bear these things and also empower you to experience peace more and more. And he is your mediator. He's your intercessor that even in your weakest moments where you are not experiencing that peace and you're not relating to God um, as your father, perhaps out of sight, out of mind, like Ben was saying, those are the moments in which Jesus is praying for you and which Jesus is keeping you and in which Jesus is reminding you of those things. He's put you in a church where you hear the word and you're reminded of those things. Um, so he's, a, he's a good and gracious Savior. And he, be reminded of that, that he is intent on bringing these blessings and these comforts to, to fruition in your heart and in your mind. Um, so let's move on to peace in the heart of the believer. And this is going to be a slightly different. So this is more um, experiential peace. So this is more um, less positional. You know, God is my father. Um, that, that external reconciliation. And this is more experiential peace, that, that sense of tranquility, that sense of serenity. Um, so I'm going to have you answer this together like we did in groups, and then we'll, we'll talk about it all together. But I want to ask you, is there anything distinctive about Christian peace? And does the world offer you peace? In what ways do they offer you peace? What are some of the things that they suggest to you? If you have such and such, if you do such and such, you will have peace. And how are those two things distinct from one another? Um, okay, I'll give you five minutes to talk about that, your groups. I see a lot of ads and a lot of people talk about like, retirement and 401ks. <laughs> 
things like we get asked all the time, like how this person, you know, quit their job, had a side hustle, working 20 hours, and uh, you know, saved so much money. Everywhere we're talking about, yeah, anywhere you go, you know, people are talking about, you know, their investments or things.
How do you guys think that that is distinct from Christian peace? Are those two things different? I think with Christian peace, there is a sense where you recognize that there is no peace to be found through the things of this world. Um, they can all fail. You know, in, the, in this room, I'm about, you know, don't lay up treasures here on earth where the thief is going to break in and steal or the moth and rust are going to destroy these things. But at the same time, it does recognize that you are going to be affected by the things of this world. Uh, Christ was in distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like his body was reacting to that. Um, but it's it's 
So it's not that you're just unmoved by the world to a certain extent, but at the same time, it doesn't have ultimate control over you. Ultimately, you put your faith in God. Yeah, that's we were talking about how the difference really comes down to what the truth is. If you don't have truth, then the viewpoints are all going to be different, right? The Eastern religion is looking for truth and defining it abstractly within themselves. The world is defining truth as physical reality only, where as we acknowledge a different truth, and it's it's what defines where we can find peace. One of the things that I kind of thought of as we were talking about, like, in a lot of ways, the world doesn't care. Like, you can use Christianity, you can use the Eastern religion, you can use financial security, whatever it is. As whatever floats your boat, kind of thing. And there's kind of something deeply, crassly pragmatic about that. They're, they don't really care, in a lot of ways, what the truth is, just so long as it works for you. It works for you. Which is the opposite of peace. Because yeah. if you only care about what works for you, then conflict will arise. Yeah. So one of the things that I have been working through in my Christian life is that it is possible for me to do a lot of right Christian things and even to think um, good Christian thoughts without relating to God directly. And ironically, uh, preparing for this, I felt a lot of anxiety about preparing the lesson. It's just an irony that stuck with me the whole time. Um, or another really acute one for me lately is when you go to the grocery store and you think, times are really tough, I've got to be really frugal, so today I'm only going to get a dozen eggs and a pack of ramen noodles and a gallon of milk, and that's it, that's all I can afford. And then you check out and it's $150. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> and every time that happens, I have a tightening in my chest and, and a sense of stress that my money's not going far enough, right? And like, things just getting tighter and tighter. And at my best, I think what I might do is I might think true thoughts about God at my best, normally. So I might think, I don't have to be worried, but we'll provide. And that's good. That's better than just feeling stressed and moving on. But I forget to take that next step that Paul gives us in 4, 6, or 7 of relating to God directly in those moments. And thinking that thought of, I don't need to be anxious, the Lord will provide, but then talking to my Heavenly Father of saying, Lord, these are my feelings. This is how I'm feeling. This is what you tell me in your word. Please help me to experience your peace. Help, help me to rest in your promises. And that makes a profound difference, right, in the way that we experience peace and experience any of the comforts and blessings of, of the Lord is that relating to him directly in the midst of those moments in our life. And I think that that is one of the characteristics of mature Christians is that they increasingly are walking in deeper and deeper communion with the living God. They're walking increasing in intimacy, quorum deo, before the face of God. They're characterized by that. Um, and so that would be my hope, my prayer for you guys as you're thinking about this and you're going about your life that um, you would be able to enjoy some of the peace of God by relating to him and resting in those promises that you might experience some peace and maybe some, some discounts and coming down in inflation too. That would be bad. Okay, last thing. Um, experiential peace in the life of Libra. We talked about that. 
the piece team then is that last aspect. So this is ex again external, and we've touched on it a little bit, but as you think about between you and other people, that piece between the people in your life, um, doing some thinking about that, we have some commands, of course, that Christians are to be characterized by that, that we um, live as far as possible at peace with all men, that we are to be peacemakers, right? So if somebody looked at your life, would they describe you as a peacemaker? And where might they say you could grow or ought to change? Are you a peacemaker? So maybe you five minutes again to talk about that in your groups. Are you a peacemaker? And go. Thank you. 
I think the tricky thing is as far as telling you is like I don't know if it's this because it doesn't depend on me or if I'm doing a bad job. You know. That's true. <laughs> like, That's a, yeah. Like, yeah, do I need to do something different or is it just does it depend on me? I don't know. That's, yeah. I think it's Conversation going on, and everybody's quiet. We connected a lot of this to the command to love your neighbors yourself, mm-hmm. and how this is really all of this just boils down to that. And that's why Christ summed the law like that mm-hmm. is if you love your neighbors yourself, then you're gonna have peace between them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's almost like two ways in which you can live at peace between men, right? Like two stages, if you will. Like there's the preventive stage that you are not an obnoxious, annoying 
rude person that provokes conflict in other people. And we nice and Westerners can probably do a decent job of that. But then there's the second stage, which is once there is a wound, once there is a conflict, are you characterized by you go and make that right? And that is, to Mark's point, that is something that, as I was thinking about that, that's true of me, that I don't like conflict. But that could be inherently selfish, and not a love of my neighbor. I could just be like, I don't like conflict, so I'm not going to provoke people. I may think all kinds of mean things about you. I may think about the things that I would like to say to you, but I won't say them to preserve peace. But that's not me being characterized by being a peacemaker. That's just me preserving self. And then when you have to go and reconcile with people, that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do. And I, my thought on that is we, in order to be characterized by that, we really have to be people that are steeped in and marinating in the reality of are being reconciled with God in the first place. Because that's just hard. And if you are in that place of like, you are, um, trying to think of different words, but if you're steeped in that reality of, man, God reconciled with me, even though I did this and this and this and this, even though I've been unfaithful to this covenant time and time and time again, and yet he's pursued me. And, and yet I have peace with him because of his patience, because of his long suffering. That gives us great permission, great incentive to be characterized by that same peace uh, with other people. Um, but I think if we're just thinking about ourselves, we're just trying to preserve self, once those conflicts are there, we're not going to be highly motivated to do that really hard thing of reconciling with other people. So my prayer is that you guys will be characterized by that, being, being peacemakers. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. I was going to have you all pray in your groups, but it is already 10.30. And because we're Presbyterians, we must end in an orderly and timely fashion. So let's close together and pray. Jelly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for uh, this group of people. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing in their hearts and their minds, just listening to them talk about these things and work these things out, Lord. Uh, it's just so wonderful to see your hand at work that you bring people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son that you put your heart in them and you create in them a love for you and your word and that you have given them your spirit and that through union in Christ they will more and more bear fruit um, that will bring you glory. So I pray over this group of people, Lord, I pray that we would be characterized more and more by peace. Um, I pray that there would be a profound sense of our peace with you, that we would enjoy deep communion with you, that more and more we'd be free from wrong thinking that separates from you, that, that leads us to hide in shame and isolate ourselves from you, but that we would run to you and enjoy communion with you. I pray that we'd be characterized more and more by experiencing a peace, that, that, um, that feeling, that emotion of peace that comes from you, resting in your promises. Um, in, the, in the midst of all the di different circumstances that they have in their life, Lord, I know that they have stresses at work, um, relationships, different difficulties in each one of their lives, Lord. I pray that they would experience your peace in the midst of those. And Lord, I do pray that we would be characterized by being peacemakers, that everybody in this room, um, more and more in their Christian life, that they would have harmony um, so far as it lies with them. Uh, so far as it depends upon them, Lord, that you would enable them and empower them to be so aware and so um, motivated 
by your making peace with them, that they would be free and empowered to live at peace with the people around them. Lord, please do this work in us. We do not have the power within ourselves, and we ask for the power of your Spirit to affect us in our lives. Um, make us fruitful and help us bring you glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.